This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, my name is Jack. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church and work mostly with youth and students. Uh, it's a privilege and happy Father's Day, especially for your father in the room. Well done. We, we know how hard it is. I have three kids, so well done. Just from me, shout out. Um, have you ever had to wait for something so long it just became like painful waiting? Like, who here remembers having to wait seven whole days for the next episode of, a, of your favorite TV series? Anyone else? If you're below the age of about, like, 21, like Finn, you know, you, you, you've never had that experience. You've just had it delivered to you on a plate. Or, like, when it would take years for the sequel of your favorite film to get released. Uh, well, and sometimes there's, there's longer things we're waiting for. Like, those dream jobs. Maybe a, a baby you were waiting for. Or a breakthrough in healing. Some things take longer, but uh, Rebecca and I have been trying to move to Bristol for about nine months now. And last week, finally, we made it. We made it. We're in, we've moved. And at times it did feel a little bit painful. I can tell you, 15 minutes commute to church this morning beats two hours every time. It was way better. Uh, but we are, we're going to look this morning at an Old Testament figure who had to wait 40 years, 40 years for what God had promised him. Uh, so we're in a series looking at the Old Testament. Last week, Joanna did an amazing job looking at the figure of, of Rahab and asked us what sort of legacy we wanted to leave behind us. And if we wanted to leave one marked by faith or one that was marked by the words and the judgments other people had spoken over us. And so this week, I'm going to talk about Joshua. I don't know if when you get prayed for, uh, that wherever you go, that sometimes you get the same pictures or Bible verses or characters uh, mentioned to you in prayer. But for me, two of those characters are Joshua and David. Wherever I go, I seem to get those uh, those characters used uh, when I get prayed for. And so it's a real privilege, um, kind of this series, that I'm going to look at those two characters. So who was Joshua? Well, uh, Rahab, who we looked at last week, she lived in Jericho, and she was a key figure in the story that Joshua is probably most famous for, which is leading the Israelites to to defeat the fortress city of Jericho and to finally enter the promised land. Uh, He's first mentioned in Exodus 17.9 as the general leading the Israelite army against uh, the Amalekites, like physically leading them. And meanwhile, Moses is up on a mountain interceding. You might know that story. And and Aaron and her friends have to hold his hands up whilst they're interceding for the battle. And for the first half of Joshua's life, he was Moses' aide. And then kind of his apprentice and eventually his successor as the leader of Israel. And we'll see, he was with Moses at some really key and significant moments, which must have shaped his leadership and his spirituality. He was one of the the 12 spies to enter the promised land first, to spy out God's promised land. But it was just him and Caleb who came back with with a good report, trusting what God had said and believing the word of God. 
And when I look, there's so much. He has a, he has a whole book named after him, and, and re, which recounts what happens to the people of God under his leadership. So much we could learn, but I just want to highlight three things for us today. Uh, the first is I believe his life is marked by encounters with God. The second is that I think we see a pattern of obedience in his life. He just kept saying yes to God, despite how crazy or wild God's commands seemed at the time. And that counts in the passion of his youth and also when he's an old man. And the third thing is that I believe Joshua was patient in waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. So, first of all, I think Joshua had some significant and dramatic encounters with God that shaped his life. Uh, if you've got Bibles or devices or phones uh, and you want to want to follow along, uh, if you want to turn to Exodus 24, uh, starting in verse 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you. Anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So this is a, it's like a literal pinnacle moment for kind of the people of God. It's the time they get the law, the commandments, these like instructions for how to live in community and how to live following the ways of God. And it's, it's like foundational for everything else that comes in the Bible. And Joshua gets a front row seat. So the people of God have to wait. They're commanded to wait at a distance at the bottom of the mountain. The elders get to go a step closer and get to go halfway up. But Joshua, Joshua, that's Moses' aide, gets to go right up to the edge of the presence of God. Well, Moses enters in. And so it's a dramatic moment. There's fire and God is consuming the mountain. They're terrified. God is appearing on earth. And Joshua gets to be right there, I don't know, listening in and seeing all that is happening. That sort of encounter would undoubtedly have shaped his life. And then if you want to flick in your Bibles to Joshua 1, at the beginning of his book, it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people... Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. In verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
So before leading God's people on this, this huge and scary task, what, what Moses himself didn't even do to take the promised land, God appears to him in this dramatic way. And he does a few things. First of all, he affirms his identity. He says, you're the leader I've chosen. This is your job. He says, you're not alone. I will be with you. I'm never going to leave. And he encourages him. Literally says, gives him courage. Be strong. Have courage in this task. How much do we know? If God says, don't be afraid, there's probably something coming up which should probably make you afraid. Uh, anyone, I don't know if you've got any fears. I hate spiders. I, like, I try to hide it around my kids, but I really hate them if they come and they're scared. Going to spider in the bathroom. I'm like, why me? Why is Bex not here? Um, but Bex, there's other bugs like, that Rebecca doesn't like as well. So I think between us, we get a good combination. But do you ever have that moment where you see something you know either your child or friend is going to be afraid of, and you do that voice like, honey, like, uh, I don't want to freak you out, but... We had that moment uh, a few, I think months ago now, but, and you can see in their eyes going, what is it? Like, there's something I should be afraid of now, don't freak me out. But you don't want to tell them, because you know they'll definitely start freaking out. Well, a few months ago, at that moment, I said, Bex, and we're in the, the door was open in our kitchen, I said, honey, just, I don't want to freak you out. It's like, what is it, what is it, what is it? Like, there is a dragonfly on your arm. And no, no kidding, this thing was like a bird. It was like that big. It sounded like a helicopter taking off. Meanwhile, Bexan starts freaking out and nearly gets caught in her hair. And it's like, don't be scared. I don't know, for me, if God says, be strong and very courageous, I would instantly feel terrified. Because I think, what are you going to make me do? But he, he encourages him. He, the, the reason they didn't have to be afraid was God was with him. And then if you look at verse 7, but this promise was conditional. He said, be careful to obey all the commands. Now, when you hear this in the Bible, and especially particularly in the Old Testament, you might think God is being controlling. That sounds very draconian and controlling. Do to follow these commands. But instead, I think we need to hear the voice of God like a good dad. Like some Father's Day, isn't it? And we know a good father, a good parent, warns their children and instructs them in ways that will bring them life. Another way to think of it is, imagine you're about to head up a a huge mountain pass. Uh, I don't know if you've been to like big national parks or anywhere dramatic, but you might have a guide that, that instructs you on where to go. Now, if that guide said, look, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it'd be a life changing experience, but you need to know there's a thousand foot drop on either side of this path. Hold the handrail the whole way up, or you might die. Now, it is dramatic, yes. It is life-changing, yes. But that guide is trying to save your life. And he's saying, if you turn to the right or the left, who knows what will happen. But this is what will keep you safe. And at this moment in the story of God, when He's going to give the Israelites instructions for life. That's what this command is. It's not a punishment. It's a, it's a protection and an encouragement. Stick to this way and you will be okay. Stay on the path. I wonder if there's areas of our life that we've strayed because we thought we knew better. But God is saying stick to the path. Do not turn to the right or the left. Joshua had these and quite a few other dramatic encounters with God. 
And when things got tough and he had some tough battles ahead against all the odds, I'm sure Joshua could look back on those moments almost foundationally and go, I, I met with God. I knew he was real then. They became those moments to look back on. And in Joshua 4, they, they literally build an altar to remember some of these moments. And, that, and that's what the people of God do. I wonder if you have those moments in your life you can look back on. And is, what have you done to remember them? It could be as simple as, as journaling it, but building a memory to go, I know it's tough, but God came through here and here and here, and I know he is faithful. And then just want to have an encouragement. When was the last time you knew you met with God? When was the last time? You know, I think it's totally fine to desire and make space for those encounters. Jeremiah 29:13, God says to his people, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I wonder if sometimes God, God asks us to come and find him. That he's drawing us closer to him. Do you know, pilgrimage, the idea of once a year taking a time out to physically go and find God is, is a really big part of, of Christian spirituality and history. And so for you, this could be, well, why not take a retreat, 24 hours out in your life to go and meet with God? Go to a Christian festival which have been closed for years, but this year, all, they're all open this summer. Take time out, go to New Wine or David's Tent or, or wherever you know you can meet with God. Maybe a mission trip if you're more of an activist. And guys, it may cost you money. It may cost you your annual leave time. It may be a sacrifice for something else. But what could be more valuable and enhancing to your life than a fresh encounter with Jesus? So I've had some of these like, significant moments of encountering God in my life. And I can look back on them in, in faith to just encourage me. Uh, a few years ago at a, a YOM circuit riders training, I remember just one moment in the training, there was no hype or music or big speaker and before anyone had showed up um, to be on the stage, the presence of God just came in this room. Just a weight of God's presence so powerfully that everyone fell on the floor. And you could feel the presence of God. And no one moved or said a word for about an hour. And I can look back on that moment going, the only way I can explain what I experienced was God. But the thing is, uh, these moments don't happen every day. And if all my faith was resting on was just those dramatic, like, mountaintop moments, I think my faith would probably run quite dry. And there was, I think there's another dimension to Joshua's spirituality we can learn about. If you're back in your Bibles to uh, Exodus 33, 11. So a little while after that story, God's people built a tent where God would meet with his people. And it says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So maybe to guard it and keep it safe from defilement, but Joshua sticks around. Moses gets to go off, but Joshua stays at the tent. 
Like you, you know the buck stops with you as a leader when you're the last one clearing out the chairs at an event. Like people think leadership is glamorous, but usually it means you get the jobs nobody else wants to volunteer to do. And, and this job really, it could have been quite mundane and quite restrictive. But again, Joshua said yes, and it meant he got a front row seat to the presence and encounters with God, like no one else did in that camp. He's just saying yes to God. Being obedient in the seemingly ordinary and mundane jobs of life meant he had an opportunity to meet God in extraordinary ways. And that day-after-day effect of being near and in the presence of God, I believe must have had perhaps just as much an effect as those mountaintop moments with him. Guys, you, you may not know why you're in the season you're in. It may feel mundane, it may feel ordinary. But if God's called you to it, who knows how much the Lord is doing beneath the surface and what he's preparing you for in the next season. I don't know if Joshua knew when he had to stick around in the tent on his own for days on end if he knew what was coming up in his life. But obedience was a pattern, I think we see. He just kept saying yes. I have friends in YWAM who are saying, you're not responsible for the outcome of your obedience, just being obedient. We can't control the outcome, but you can control your choice and your choice to say yes to God. They have another phrase that simple obedience changes history. Believing that history is marked by the men and women of God who have just said yes to God and left the results to him. For about five years, I was on a team at a house of prayer and house of prayer community. And some of it really was not glamorous. We were a small team, so that involved cleaning the toilets, to fixing up parts of the building, to graphic design and web design, advertising, and all the way through to leading 6am prayer meetings. And there were moments after cycling in from quite a few miles away where I lived at the time, sitting alone in a cold church hall, praying on my own, that you wonder what you're doing. But the consistency of hours and hours and weeks and weeks in the presence of God cannot help but shape, uh, couldn't help but shape who I was. And, and looking back, it was one of the places and times that I think has formed me the most. So a simple question for us again today is, how much space and time are you giving in the midst of your everyday rhythm to meet with God? And what would it look like to give him just a bit more and see what he does? In John 15, Jesus says, if we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. So that word abide, it can mean dwell or live with or be next to. Uh, One thing I know is you can't abide or dwell once a week anywhere. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and your father who is unseen, to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. you know, praying in secret often isn't glamorous, but it is noticed by the one person who matters. So I think Joshua's life was marked by mountaintop moments and mundane moments of encounters with God. I think 
He had a life of kept saying yes, despite the crazy odds. And finally, I think he was patient. So we are living in quite a unique moment uh, in human history. We're living in something called a culture of immediacy. Like never before have we had so much delivered to us, like physically and digitally, as we do today. Like, does anyone else get shocked when Amazon says it would take more than 48 hours to deliver something? Anyone else? Or you get that, like, ungodly amount of rage when you see the buffering wheel on Netflix. You're like, come on, what's going on? In a few decades, we are living in a very different world. Now, again, Finn's not going to remember this, but does everyone know what, like, Finn, do you know what a film is? Not, like, watching a film. Do you know what a film is? No, no, so it used to be, right, if you took photos, you took them on something on a roll of film, and if you wanted to see those photos ever, you had to post them, and maybe you'd get them back about a week later once they'd been developed in a special lab. And you had no idea, and the in-between bit, if you'd covered the lens with your finger the whole time, or if the photos were out of focus or terrible or blurry, you had to just wait and see what happened. Like, that was a trust and faith exercise. And when you went on the internet... Guys, guys, I don't know if you know this. When you were on the internet, you couldn't just like log on wherever you wanted. You had to be at home and make sure no one needed a phone call or was expecting a phone call. And then you'd do something called dial-up internet, which is, I, if I'd put, I could have got the noise for you, but it's like this weird white noise moment to dial into the internet. And if you wanted to look at a website, it would load like a line at a time, like and gradually scroll down the page. And if I had a picture on it, oh man, you'd be waiting for hours to try and look at any website. But now, as an example, so we've just moved house and have to do a lot of admin. And a few weeks ago, I I sent Rebecca this text. I said, honey, I'm I'm really sorry. Something terrible has happened with the house. It's a bit hard. I shouldn't have done this. And she's like, what? What was it? And then I just let, I I delayed it. I let let it run out. It's like, no, what's going on? Like, no, it's it's really bad. I'm sorry. They don't have fiber internet at our new house. I don't know what we're going to do. As it turns out, just talk, talk, our current provider didn't provide fibre internet. We now have Virgin Media and uh, full fibre, so life's good again. But I panicked. I genuinely, what are we going to do? Our kids can't stream Netflix. I I was panicking. But we live in this culture of now, like instant gratification, instant fibre, prime delivery, binge-watching series. And we've literally wired and trained our brains to expect stuff straight away. The problem is, some things in life, probably the most important things, you can't get instantly. They're formed over time. Things like character. Things like real friendships. And I think things like a deep relationship with God does not come in a moment. Uh, John Tyson, a pastor and teacher from New York, says this, we must break our addiction to the immediate. It's one of the curses of our age. We've been severed from the process of sowing and reaping, of seasons and struggle that other generations took for granted. We tend to think things can be created quickly, fixed quickly, and developed quickly. If you're going to be a good father or mother or leader, anything truly meaningful will require patience. So all those things considered... How would you feel if you got prayed for today and someone gave you a prophetic word and it was amazing, it was an encounter with God and they said, problem is, uh, it's going to take 40 years for this word to be fulfilled. 
Would you still trust God? Oh, and by the way, uh, whilst you're waiting, you'll be living in a desert, camping for 40 years. Now, that is some of your idea of how. I'm, I'm, to be honest, it's close to mine. 40 years camping in a desert. It just takes, just takes someone making me wait at a traffic light for a few extra seconds for me to get frustrated. But that's what happened to Joshua and his friend Caleb. So they, so they were one of the spies. They went to spy out the promised land. And they came back. And in Numbers 13.30, it says, Caleb said this, We should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the other men who'd gone with him said this, We can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. And in Numbers 14.8, Joshua says, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us to that land and give it to us. But you may know the people rebelled and they turned around and they refused. And God's response was to say, okay, the only people who are going to make it will be Joshua and Caleb. You'll die in the desert, but your children will inherit it instead. See, Joshua and Caleb saw the same situation as everyone else, but looked with eyes of faith. As Joanna said last week, having faith doesn't mean denying reality. It just adds God to the equation. They didn't deny that the land or the cities were strong. They just added God to the equation because he was stronger. Can you imagine the temptation to get bitter or frustrated or to give up at any point along that journey in 40 years? Some of us may have dreams or a sense of calling or prophetic words we've been carrying, maybe for years, maybe for decades. And you wonder if it will ever happen. Maybe you tried to step out in faith, but you got disappointed or, or even let down by others. Joshua may well have struggled with all of those feelings. But what we do see in his story is after 40 years, he's still going for it in faith. He's still saying yes, and he's still going after the presence of God. And this part of the story did speak to me. Um, in 2017, it's when Rekha and I first had a sense of transition in our ministry. Uh, we traveled to California, and then again in, in 2018, and, and clearly sensed God calling us to the UK to stay and to work with young people and students. And yet, we thought it was going to happen straight away. We thought we were going to start this new ministry with some friends of ours, and time and time again, there was this disappointment. It, things didn't quite work out. There was frustrations. And then COVID happened, and everything started going wrong. And here we are in 2022, after nine more months of trying to move, and it feels like we finally landed. That was four or five years. I couldn't imagine 40. So, now one last thing I want to say. Uh, for those of you in the room, is, there's a lesson about generations here in this story. When Joshua died, it said that the generation after him turned away from the Lord because they hadn't seen the works of God. Don't let it be said of the generation behind us that they didn't see the works of God and so turned away from him. What is it you can do that could invest in the next generation? 
And if you are one of those people, guys, below the age of 25, you see, they, they looked at the faith of their parents. They would have been suffered because of the choice of their parents. But they made a different choice. They said, despite what I might have seen in the generation above me, we're going to pursue God. We're going to say yes. We're going to do something different. And history remembers them for it. So despite what you may have seen in those around you, why not make a different choice and go for it with God? So guys, Joshua's life was marked by encounters with God, saying yes and trusting him with the results. What is God saying to you this morning? Guys, we're just going to pray. We're going to respond and invite that, that living God who appeared on that mountain but is here today and we believe that through Jesus. So we're just going to pray. Um, we're going to have some music in a minute, but let's just bow our heads a moment me. Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you. That we get to be part of your story. That you want to meet with your people. That you want to meet with us today. That we can trust you. God, I just want to pray for everyone here who's just carrying disappointment of words yet to be fulfilled. And where there's this pain that's come with that pain and the waiting, Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come and minister to that. Come, Holy Spirit. God's in a sense in this, yeah, this God saying he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten. There's this pattern in the Old Testament where God's reminded that he's the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like he made a promise to them and he's never, and never will give up on it. He cannot deny himself. And maybe for some of us, actually, God's inviting you to partner with him. To, to keep praying and pressing in for those words, to, to write them down, to journal them, to daily pray in for those words. And for some of us, I'm uh, just sensing that, that that thing of saying yes and that, that guardrail, that you, you just know, actually, there's areas you've, for whatever reason, pain or disappointment or distraction, you've, you've strayed or... or Stop saying yes. And I think there's an invitation today to, to say yes again. Say, God, I'm sorry. And, and maybe you want to respond in some way today to that. 